Hey everybody, hanging out at Jack Daniel Distillery today, 75 miles south of Nashville. This place is beautiful. You're gonna love it. Also stopping by the cellar today, Tony Arata, Pat Alger, two Hall of Fame songwriters. Their songs are gonna blow your mind. I cannot wait. And go! So every single drop of Jack Daniels comes out of right here. Um, wow. We're the only source in the world. You know, a lot of other brands, they have multiple production facilities right. all over. Right. We don't. Every single bottle of Jack Daniels going to 170 different countries comes out of 170 different countries? 170 different countries. The United States is the number one market. That uh, figures. Followed by the UK. <laughs> Takes fire to make Jack, they say. We also make our own charcoal. Uh, it'll burn like that for over an hour. They'll just let it burn, free burn. You call it, maybe. Free burning! Free burning, yeah, exactly. And then after, you know, about an hour and a half or so, they'll start to add water. This charcoal is really, really key for Tennessee whiskey. Wow. By filtering our whiskey through the charcoal, it will act like a sponge and absorb that corn flavor away from really? the whiskey. And wow. so Jack Daniels has that nice kind of soft, sweet mouthfeel to it. Yeah. That's because of this charcoal mellowing and this filtration process. <laughs> Uh, most of the corn is coming out of uh, western Kentucky, Indiana. We do have a family farmer in uh, northern Alabama, about 20 miles from here. Wow, really? That provides us a lot of corn. This, however, <laughs> is not corn. That's like here. That's, that's rye. The, that's the rye, there That's go. rye. Most of the time we are getting our rye out of western Canada. But the, the big thing is the quality of the grain. Dump some in here? Yep. Yeah. All right, this is rye. Yep, that's right. We have to take those grains, the corn, the barley, and the rye, we grind it up into a meal, and then we cook it in the cave water. We run these still six days a week, 24-7. Um, we do only shut down for about 12 hours every week to clean, um, but these stills are where, this is where the whiskey is gonna be separated from the fermentation or, or the, the mash. Uh. So that hot vapor will come out the top, we'll cool it, condense it back down, into that clear, remember when we started the uh, Whiskey for Destruction for the charcoal? Yeah, yeah. 140 proof, that would come pouring out into these copper boxes. That would be brand new Baby Jack Daniels whiskey coming right out. Now this, we saw the distillation process a little bit out of order. You've got to cook that grain, you know, the mash, the grits I was talking about, right. and you've got to ferment that first. So this is what we have here. So this is going to be gassing off some CO2 because it is fermenting. So that will burn your nose a little bit. Woohoo! Look at that. Dude, yeah. You gotta get over here and look in there. That's a great shot. So what we see here, this is that mixture of grits, the mash, the corn, the rye, the barley, yeah. and we've added our yeast. Yeah. And so all the bubbles coming out, that's carbon dioxide, air, which is yeah. what burns your carbon, nose a little yeah, bit carbon. there. At, literally, as that yeast is consuming the natural sugars from the grain, it's making alcohol. You don't want to go swimming in there or nothing. It's that not boiling, so it's not hot. It is warmer in there than out here. So that's just flat out reaction. That's exactly. Just, it's right. about 85 degrees in there. So this will take up to six days. Really? Wow. Because as that yeast ferments on those sugars, eventually it'll run out of food. It'll run out of the sugar. Right. That's when we'll pump it over to the distillery building through the copper columns, and we will distill the alcohol out of it.
mowing exactly right. Oh, look. Exactly. So is that just dripping through? Is that the... You got it. Basically, the little clear drips. Wow. That, again, is the same uh, whiskey that we would use to light the fire to make this charcoal. Um, it's the clear whiskey right off of the still, so that's 140 proof. Uh, and you see how slow it's going. It's only dripping. Trickling. At, I mean, it's just trickling out, barely. It, exactly. About two gallons a minute is the total flow of this fat. Wow. Um, because that charcoal is packed so tightly, and it actually goes all the way down in the floor below us. It's 10 feet deep. No way. So yep. it's trickling through 10, 10 feet of charcoal. 10 feet of charcoal. We believe where this process came into play was, even though it would still be clear, just like the next person's down the road, this charcoal mellowing would soften that flavor and you yeah. could charge more money, right? Yeah, you had, that's you had, true. You had a premium product. Right. And so that's why we still charcoal mellow today. Three days later, it'll come out the bottom. Then we'll put it in our barrel to age. Tennessee whiskey, no longer is it bourbon. <laughs> I'll let you have a little, and one more little smell. This is called the bunghole. It's called the what? The bunghole. That's the, the bunghole. That's the bunghole. See, I always wondered what that was. <laughs> so that's where the bung um, or the cork, you yeah. know, will be inserted. You can see this stave or this piece of wood is the largest one. Right. And the rivets, the, the coopers, the, the men and women that actually make these barrels every day, they will pick one big wide stave to drill the bunghole, which is what we'll use to fill and empty the barrel. Um, and then they will line those rivets up perfectly. Starting to smell like Jack Daniels now, yeah. right? Yeah. Had the taste of the mash, not there. A little smell of the charcoal. Yes. We're on our way for a tasting. We're on our way to the tasting. <laughs> the fun part. This is the, uh, the classic old number seven. Sold in 170 countries all over the world. Um, now what we do with old number seven is we're going to mix about 200 barrels together at a time. Um, we'll take barrels from the top floors, the bottom floors, because we want them all to taste like they came right out of the middle. So what do you do for a living? <laughs> this. Wow, tasting. That'd be a heck of a job. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Chris, thanks for taking us on this tour. 150 years of Jack Daniels. Amazing whiskey, an amazing place. And you're an amazing guy. Thank you. Songs from the cellar. Lynchburg, Tennessee, Jack Daniels, and go. Tony, thanks for being here, buddy. You bet. Thanks appreciate for having me. Appreciate it. Man, I'm so glad I finally got you here. I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to it. Little Georgia boy over here. Absolutely. Like you met Gary Quinn earlier today. You know, here's a Northern Ireland guy that the dance changed his life. You know, think mm -hmm. about when your songs have that kind of impact on somebody. I mean, what does that mean to you, right? Well, sure. And uh, I've been so very fortunate over the years to get to travel and and uh, and see meet people from all over the place and. Uh, as a result of that song, you know the interesting part about it is the is the fact that uh, you know probably one of the best things that ever happened to it was it was turned down by everybody. Oh so, yeah. So I mean that it wound up with exactly the right person. It wound up with the person who was supposed to do it and who got it from the first time they heard it. So I mean if if somebody else had got it right off the bat, we might not be having this conversation. Oh, yeah, so right. I might not be down here in your Yeah, who did right it again? Now. Somebody, what's his name? Garth. <laughs> Garth Brooks, yes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it was really, really cool because, you know, Garth, I remember meeting Garth for the first time, and, you know, Alan Reynolds used to let me use the studio for free, and then they brought in this guy named Garth, and I used to give him hell about his name and say, Garth, I never heard about Garth before. <laughs> but what a great guy, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, 10 years oh, later. Oh, he's a phenomenal fella, and, you know, but that, don't worry about that. My father, for the longest time, didn't believe that anybody was named Garth. He called him Gary. Gary <laughs> so, you know, I said I had to tell him, no, his name is Garth. Gary you know? Brooks. Well, you know, and the, the other ironic thing about it is the fact that it wasn't supposed to be a single. 
I mean, they had already recorded the second album, so that was, that was not going to ever happen. And you can thank Alan Reynolds, who actually drove Jimmy Bowen to one of the concerts and said, you need to, you need to do this. What song. a genius. I mean, he well, yeah, Alan, Alan's I always, amazing. I always thought of him as like Yoda, you know. He is. That's exactly what he's like, you know. And you, just, if you really want to know if a song is any good, go play it for Alan. I think we should hear the dance. I think we should. Tony Arada. Looking back on the memory of the dance we shared neath the stars above when for a moment all the world was right how could I have known that you'd ever say goodbye and now I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end and the way it all would go. Our lives are better left to chance. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. And for a moment, there wasn't I the king. But if I'd only known how that king would fall, he now who's to say, you know, I might have changed it all. So now I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end. And the way it all would go Our lives are better left to chance I could have missed the pain But I'd have had to miss the dance Our lives are better left to chance could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. Wow. Dang, that's just freaking awesome. What do I do? What do I say, man? I don't even know where to go. Speechless. Tony Arata, thanks for being here, my brother. You I really bet. do appreciate it, man. Hall of Fame, greatest guy in the whole world, man. Songs from the cellar. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Phil. Mm -hmm. You bet. Welcome to Songs from the Cellar. It's my honor today to introduce you. One of the great songwriters ever, my buddy Pat Alger, right oh, here. Great to be Hi, here. Hi, buddy. Man, it's wonderful to be in your little cellar here, man. <laughs> that's fun. You're the only guy I know that's got a cellar. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, just to 
a little background too. You, you're, you're the first guy that ever paid me to ever sing a demo to this. Well, thing. you know, I, I wasn't aware that I was the first one. I might not have hired you if I'd known I was the first one. <laughs> but, but I did hear you sing somewhere, and you did this incredible rocking demo of this song that I, that I, you know, I couldn't have sung in a million years. Yeah. But you, you sang it great. You actually teach school, uh, teach a class of lyric writing. Yeah, I, last year, out of the blue, some I got a call uh, just asking me if I'd be interested, and I be honest, I'd never thought about teaching at all. But I thought about it for about 10 minutes, and I said, well, you know, that kind of sounds interesting. You, know, you get to a certain age, and you've done you know, so many things, and <laughs> that's one thing I hadn't done. So I teach a lyric writing class, got 10 to 12 students every semester, and, you know, I look them in the eye, and I, it keeps me honest, because... Yeah. You know, they need the, that one piece of information that they're lacking, you know. Yeah, that puts them over the edge. Yeah, so it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I, I prepare for it, actually. That's how much fun it is. I discovered all this stuff like you did, I'm sure, very, very much by accident, yeah. by bumping into furniture and, <laughs> you, know, you know, bruising your nose and your knees. And, oh, yeah. And uh, these kids are getting a real education by people that are not only teachers, but really write songs yeah. and ever had lots of success and it's kind of fascinating uh, They, the ones that listen man they get it they yeah. really do when I first came down like you I thought I'd get some sessions and I got a couple of them but on one of the only sessions I, I got Kathy Matea was the background singer and we got to be pals. Right. Uh, and it was like everybody I met became an artist and did one of my songs it was a really strange yeah, strange really time cool. Uh, Hal Ketchermine actually uh, judged the Kerrville uh, uh, New Folk Contest down in Kerrville, Texas. Wow. And he was the winner. So that's how I met him. Really? Yeah, so it was like all these personal connections, not just, you know, happened to be the right people to sing those songs. But right. They turned out to be great friends, too. Yeah, and then you meet Garth, and that did pretty good for you, though. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you, there's nothing nothing to explain that. I mean, you just can't explain that. I remember the day I met him, he was, uh, I was coming out of an office, and he was coming out of the one across the hall with Alan Reynolds. And I think he was dressed in a duster and a hat. And uh, and I thought, well, Alan's working with John Wayne, you know, because that's, <laughs> that's what he looked like. He looked like John Wayne had just unsaddled his horse outside. And uh <laughs> turned out he was playing that night, and I went down and saw him, and uh, he... Uh, he captivated that that audience of total strangers with songs they'd never heard before, and I, I got it right off. And uh, so we started writing some songs, and we only did it for about six months, but we wrote some pretty good ones. <laughs> yeah, I'd say you did, man. Yeah. What's one of the most important things you've learned about songwriting? Well, you know, when I first came here, I I, uh, I agonized over songs. You know, I, I thought uh, you had to have this earth-shaking experience to write a song. and um, I ran into a guy named Jerry Foster, who's in the Hall of Fame also. Foster and, and Rice, they were an incredible songwriting team. And I, I asked him if he had any advice, and he said, well, yeah, I got one piece of advice for you. And he said, show me a songwriter who only writes from inspiration, and I'll show you a broke songwriter. And what he was telling me was, I was going to have to learn how to go to work and right. be a songwriter. And I never realized that until I got here. And that's what I learned from this whole town. I, I started scheduling appointments and showing up and working hard. And, and it just sort of 
success just followed. Right. And it was, you know, having that self-discipline, you know, being self-employed, or as I like to say, self-unemployed, is what, <laughs> which is what I am. Um, uh, being self-unemployed, self-discipline is the key, is the key to, to success. You yeah. just have to have some. You can't go out and, and rock, but uh, I had to learn that really quickly, and I did, thank God. Bertha and I got together the first time, and we wrote a song that we thought was pretty good. But the second time we got together, we wrote this song. <laughs> and uh, then we knew he had done something pretty good. But, uh, you know, he didn't have a record deal back then, so right. uh, we pitched the song around and actually got recorded by Tanya Tucker first. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I yeah. forgot about that. She did. And, um, but... Uh, I'm very proud. This is the first song I ever had to be banned from country music television. And, uh, yeah, that's right, because of the video. It was about domestic yeah, violence or that's something. Right. Is that what yeah. it was? Yeah, and uh, of course, because it got banned, you know, it was on every news program. Made it bigger. And, and I made a lot of money on it. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, Amen, I wouldn't, baby. wouldn't have made anything. Ban me anytime. Yeah, anyway, kind of goes like this. Three thirty in the morning, not a soul in sight. The city's looking like a ghost town on a moonless summer night. Raindrops on the windshield, there's a storm moving in. He's headed back from some place that he never should have been, and the thunder rolls. Every light is burning in a house across town. She's pacing by the telephone in her faded flannel gown, asking for a miracle, hoping she's not right, praying it's the weather. Kept him out all night And the thunder rolled And the thunder rolled The thunder rolls And the lightning strikes Another love grows cold On a sleepless night The storm blows Deep in her heart, the thunder rolls. She's waiting at the window when he pulls into the drive. She runs out to hold him, thankful he's alive. But on the wind and rain, a strange new perfume blows. Lightning flashes in her eyes, and he knows that she knows. And the thunder rolls. And the thunder rolls. The thunder rolls, and the lightning strikes. Another love grows cold on a sleepless night. The storm blows on out of control. 
deep in her heart The thunder rolled She runs back down the hallway Through the bedroom door She reaches for the pistol In the dresser drawer She tells a lady in the mirror He won't do this again This'll be the last night I wonder where he's been And the thunder rolls And the thunder rolls And the thunder rolls And the thunder rolls <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <laughs> Under row. Yeah. Yeah. Pat, thanks for being here on Songs oh, from the pleasure. Cellar. Pat yeah. Alger, my brother. Thank you. Amazing day, Phil, man. Always great to see you, man. See you too, man. We got to do this again soon. I right? hope so. Hope yeah. so. We'll just drink wine in here next time. Next time we'll drink. That's right. Songs <laughs> from the Cellar, my brother Pat Alger. Thank you guys. And go. <laughs>